Hey, John. So uh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, well, I've got a D&D game going. Uh, what about you? What? How'd you swing that? I always have a hard time getting my group together. Well, I, I do know every in and out of the group schedule. So finding time, it really, really isn't too bad. Hmm. Well, is it anyone I know? Well, it's, uh, it's Sally and Joe. Wait, aren't those your kids? In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about running games for children. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And we're, we're kind of excited about doing this. I've run games for my kids for, for quite a while. And with everybody kind of being uh, sequestered to their homes, a lot of people are looking at running games with the, the, their children at home, or maybe even using uh, online services like we did, we talked about in our last episode, mm-hmm. to bring in their kids' friends to have a game going. Uh, yep. but, but really, before you kind of go down this path, you, you should really take a moment to consider who's playing the game. Uh, and, and in my mind, the first thing when you do that is, is if you're dealing with people that are not your kids, talk to the parents. Uh, because you need to make sure that they're okay with, with, uh, with them playing the game. I, I, I know that when I was, was younger, there was the whole 80s satanic panic where they thought you were a devil worshiper. If, if, uh, panic. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they, they literally, there were people that thought you were a devil worshiper that pl- if you played D&D. There's a catchy <laughs> phrase for everything. <laughs> Absolutely. And and so I'm sure that there are probably still pockets out there where it might be uh, an issue. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, a thing that a lot of parents are concerned about, I mean, satanic panic aside, um, <laughs> is just, you know, murder, the murder hoboing aspect of it, like the slasher part of it. Like, you know, is there any violence involved mm-hmm. to what level? You know, um, are there themes or elements that might be too mature for, you know, certain age groups? So that's, of course, you know, something that you want to discuss with the parents first. Now, maybe some parents are like, you know, mine, which I thought was pretty cool. uh, And let me see (laughs) Stephen King's It when I was six. And, you know, my love of the horror genre grew from that. So, you know, that's my parents. But, you know, you you definitely have others that um, maybe are not so enthused about that. Yeah, and as we'll talk about here in just a minute, uh, when we talk about determining what tone is appropriate, mm-hmm. understanding that that hey, yeah, they they watch horror movies for fun on the weekends, uh, and if everybody in the group is like that, you might not have to worry about toning your game down from what you would run for adults. Yeah, uh, but without knowing that, you're just kind of in the dark. Yeah, and and you know. You also have, you know, a lot of other things to consider, you know, like I said, you know, it may not necessarily be just like the violence or, you know, the, the thriller horror aspect of it. Um, there could be other mature element themes, you know, if there's a, if there's romance involved or, you know, um, if there's other like more adult appropriate things, you know, again, that, that your children mm-hmm. or their children may just not have been exposed to yet. Or the parents aren't ready to have them exposed to yet. And those are things that you still need to, to double check with them. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen some people posting online looking for, hey, is there a way that I can adjust D&D to where there's not fighting? Or is there another game that I would recommend? Um, things like that. Uh, yeah. So just stuff to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. An- another thing that, that kind of ties into that is is uh, consider the age of the players that you're talking about. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, when you say kids, uh, you could have anywhere from very young, I, I consider like five or six on the scale to be pretty young, um, all the way up into to teenagers. And depending upon where they're at, it's going to determine a lot of stuff about about what you're doing, uh, as mm-hmm. well as it may determine what game system you play. 
Yeah, and and again, some some game systems are better than others uh, when it comes to those particular age groups. Um, and you know, if we're talking about different game systems of playing, like your antagonists, for example, you know, there's there's limits to like how um, you want those antagonists to be explained. Um, you have a lot more experience in doing <laughs> sessions with children. I've never done it. Um, I was tempted to try with my dogs, but probably would not work. <laughs> but when I was doing some separate research and just kind of trying to get familiarized myself with the topic, um, one really, really good suggestion was sort of instead of, especially for younger players, was instead of doing like that evil antagonist, inherently evil, you know, your only resolution to this this whole adventure is to take him down. Um, is to instead have like the misunderstood bad guy. Maybe it's like some ogre or something like that that was like known for stealing things out of the village. But then when you confront him, it turns out maybe he was just lonely or he was doing it for his ogre family. Who knows? But allowing it to kind of keep it within the constraints of it's not evil. And there are other um, ways to resolve this adventure than the combat slasher. You know, you can try and help lead the kids to a different type of resolution that is nonviolent and non-confrontational. Mm-hmm. And and also when you're talking about that whole bad versus evil thing, uh, it's it's even though it's something that that you and I both really enjoy when it comes to running games for adults, yeah. keeping that moral gray area to a minimum where it's not mm-hmm. a well this could be good if you look at it through the light right <laughs> lens. It, you, you should probably keep it a little bit more clear cut: good versus bad or mm-hmm. evil, depending on how you go there, and and going from there. So. Yeah, uh, just something to keep in mind as you as you uh, as you're considering rolling out a game for for children. Yeah, you just want to, I think, keep it straightforward. I mean, obviously, things can be argued from different points, you know, um, but I think, yeah, just trying to make sure that those roles are more clearly defined helps to make it a more enjoyable experience for them. Mm hmm. And then uh, another thing to consider is is what are they interested in? So we we talk about really taking a, a, a an eye to this with your adult players, but I think you take it a little bit to the next level because when you're talking about adults, when you're saying what are they interested in with the role playing game, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking are they combat oriented? Are they role playing? Are they puzzles? Things like that, and and yeah, that can come into play with 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 children. But there's also a whole matter of if you've got a group of kids that have never actually played, mm-hmm. finding a way to get them tied in and interested. And and one of the ways that I did this was was building a, a, a game to the interests of my kids. My my youngest, when he was, uh, I think he was about eight, he wanted to have a birthday party and he'd seen his older brother playing role-playing games and said, I want to do that for my my birthday party. Aww. Not a single one of the kids coming had ever heard of a role-playing game. <laughs> And so I was kind of trying to strike this balance of my my youngest wanting to play this game, but also having it to be something everyone would be interested in. And so what yeah. I did was I I took um, took Minecraft, and I every all the kids that were coming liked Minecraft. They played Minecraft. They talked about it ad nauseum, and hmm. and um, so I, I it was a very simple task for me at the time because I basically figured out what monsters I wanted to use in the game. And then I mapped um, the various creatures that you experience in Minecraft, like the creepers and mm-hmm. whatever else. I don't remember at this point. And I mapped those to the, to the uh, at the time it was Pathfinder because that's what we, what game we were playing at the time with his older brother at the time. So I mapped those to, to monsters within Pathfinder. And then I made a, a very simple story about um, Steve, the main character from Minecraft, <laughs> disappearing, and they had to go and help him. Oh, okay. 
That's a, actually that's that's a really good idea. I think um, you know taking from their interests is is a great way to make something that's very much tailored to what they enjoy, and then kind of interweaving that in with the role playing game, the table topic gaming experience, and then helping to kind of fuel their interests in that that type of game. Um, I was also reading that you know if you wanted good ideas for storylines for like your campaigns, you can also take it generally from you know very popular like Disney movies or like their other favorite TV shows. You know, um, one guy said, I think it was like, is it horror high? The high school with all the. Oh, I, I think that's what it is. I haven't seen yeah. it. Myself, but I've heard of it. <laughs> so he actually made a campaign based off of that theme. Um, okay. And it had the characters there kind of similar. What you do like, you know, Steve went missing and it was very similar um, kind of campaign, but kind of geared around those familiar characters and the layout was essentially their high school. Applying that familiarity, especially if you're, if you're building in kind of to the story that they're already familiar with, mm-hmm. it, it does a number of things. First off, you don't have to do a lot of exposition, which yeah. they may not be into to get them familiar with what is going on. Yes. Um, and second off, they're just excited because like, oh, I know this story. I get to be a part of it. Yeah. And, and it's it's really cool to to watch the eyes light up when that when that happens. For sure, yeah. I think if if I had ever done like oh a Sailor Moon campaign, I'd be mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm going to be Sailor Mars. That's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, another thing to kind of keep in mind when you're thinking about your players is is really uh, that whole role playing game aspect. If it, Keep mm-hmm. in mind of whether they're interested in puzzles or fights, role playing, and you can focus the the game that way and and go from there. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's some like I was telling you before where you know I did one that was like a murder mystery, mm-hmm. and that one was really great. Like I love problem solving murders and things like that. I mean, granted, I got killed before I figured out who done <laughs> it, but um, you know that was really fun. There there's some I saw where they actually interwove um, like escape rooms like the escape room games within a like tabletop D and D or role playing game campaign. And I thought that was really clever and creative for those, like you were saying the puzzle solving types, you know? Right. And uh, when, when my older son was first playing and and he asked for a game for his birthday, he and his friends were super into puzzles. And so that's why that first game that I I made for them was Mm. probably about 50 to 60% puzzles because I knew that that was a a big focus. They were little puzzles that they could get through easily um, interspersed with fighting and stuff because they're Mm -hmm. obviously don't want to do that all the time. But, um, but by doing that, they were, they walked away like, oh, that was so much fun. When when can we play again? <laughs> so, but I think that's that's uh, like things to consider. I think those are things to consider before you really get started. But let's kind of talk about now that now you've kind of gotten through that and you're getting started and you've got these kids that are maybe at your house or or you're doing online game um what's People kind of a, <laughs> what what kind of do you recommend as a as a first step with them well i mean i think a very similar approach to any new person starting you know a, a tabletop game is just kind of a, a go like i say a back to basics but you know a, a general overview of what your basics are when it comes to the rules of the game mm-hmm. um you know this is what a 20-sided die is and this is your character sheet, you know, and and this is what you if you want to if you want to explore, this is what you roll. If you want to fight, this is what you um, what you roll. Here's your AC. Here's your hit points. 
you know, call it a day, maybe a few other things in there, like some faux pas things like, oh, you know, things that you can or can't do as a player. And then just maybe as you go along, if you happen to come across a situation that needs explaining, you can take it as the scenario dictates. But um, I think it's best to kind of go over the rules, but also to keep it simple because you don't want to like overwhelm them with the 25 million rules that tabletop games have. <laughs> well, and and one of the things um, just to, to, to take a, a little bit of a step back is really tell them about what a role-playing game is. Cause mm. while, while some more adult players may have an idea of what it is from seeing things like uh, stranger things or yeah. any of the other more modern um, pop culture references that are out there or, or hearing about the nerds playing it in school, Nerd. uh, <laughs> whatever it is, they have an idea probably. But if you're talking about a kid, they may not have had any exposure to that. And so yeah. being able to give them just a high level overview of, Hey, this is, this is what it is. Here's what, here's what role I'll be playing. I'll be the dungeon master. And this is what I do. This is what mm-hmm. you guys do with that. Um, just to give them an idea of, of how, how things are going to, going to work out. And I think the thing also to keep in mind is, like, you know, if they do make some sort of correlation to something else or like, you know, they connect it to something else, a very common connection is like to video game RPGs, which in a lot of ways can be very similar, but in a lot of other ways, you know, may not be similar. You know, right. our aspects of like rolling for initiative and the turn based things, there's a lot more flexibility a lot of times in video games than there are with with D&D. I had a, a, a player who had never played D&D before but he had done a lot of RPGs on video games. So he wanted to see what this was like, but he kept trying to do things uh, at the tabletop scenario that like in video games was totally fine. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. combined attack with another player, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's like, that doesn't really work here, you know, yeah. or, you know, if I put up my defense and you know, it blocks, you know, and that way nothing can hit him for the next blah turns. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't quite work, <laughs> quite work like that. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's it's important to, to sort of keep that in the back of your head that if if you have, say, a kid that plays a lot of those kinds of games, just to sort of make that distinction for them. Yep, yep. Um, and then to the dice, you, you talked about a lot of things to do to make sure that they understand which dice is which. Mm. Um, if you have the ability to do this, uh, and by ability, I mean the the amount of dice which you need to be able to do this, <laughs> yeah. is is provide them with, with kind of color-coded dice. So mm-hmm. everybody's D20 is purple, everybody's D12 is yellow. And so when you're dealing with this group of players, you can say, hey, I want you to roll initiative. That's a D20. Uh, that's the purple one. Mm-hmm. And so... By, by having that that visual indicator that makes it easy for them to pick that up and roll that, um, mm-hmm. they can gradually learn and you can stop adding in, that's the purple one. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I know the D20. That's the purple one in their brain. Yeah, I know and which one it is, all right? <laughs> and then eventually they can actually learn what the dice are without having the colors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, just like small little indicators. Like that. And then we were talking about um, before you and I are having a discussion about like the things that are and are not allowed. And you had a really good example um, of like when you were running it for your kids, I think, right? Yeah. Um, one thing to, to in that initial conversation talk about is how what things are not going to be allowed as far as interactions between players. Because mm-hmm. first game, 
we had a, a thief and like every time he turned around, oh, I'm going to, I want to steal this from such and such. And then, then the, the player that they were going to steal from is like, oh, if you do that, I'm going to murder you. And, and this whole back and <laughs> forth of this escalating procedure, oh, if, you, if you try to murder me, I'm going to murder you and then oh, murder him too. <laughs> and, and <laughs> so I really try to with, with, so that was my oldest group. Um, they, worked it out in the end. But <laughs> but with my youngest group, I I I did try to make sure that I set out the the expectation that hey, we're not going to do any sort of player versus player thing. You're not mm-hmm. going to steal from your your cohort, you're not going to going to fight them. You can have an argument and talk through things, but but we're not going to get to that point where we're rolling dice against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we don't need this like one up like <laughs> the whole idea is like the the Mission and the adventure girl is supposed to be going on, not this whole like internal battle that we have. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're just playing with your own kids, it may not. Well, it depends on your kids. It may not be as big of an issue uh, where where I, I've seen it most is when you've got this group of friends and maybe not everyone is as tight of friends with everyone is as as maybe one is. And so yeah. you you kind of get this a little bit of one-upsmanship there. So it's a good thing to lay down before you before you get to that point. Isn't that like wasn't that one of our like problem players that we went over in a previous <laughs> episode? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> the one upper. It's funny that it's funny that uh, a lot of the concepts that we're talking about for children while a little bit different, they apply to adults as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I would happily be a My Little Pony any day of the week if that was the option I was given as a character. So, yep. Speaking of My Little Pony, let's talk about character creation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Since we're on the subject of running games for kids, I want to take a moment to say that Darkwind is great for kids to play too. That's right, our sponsor for this episode, Darkwind, isn't just fun for adults, but kids enjoy it too. In fact, my kids have played it for several years with a couple of their friends. So whether you're looking for an escape for yourself, or you want to give your kids something to entertain themselves, point the browser to play.darkwind.org and get ready to have some fun. And remember, Darkwind is always free, no downloadable content, no add-on packs, and no ads to interrupt your fun. Just go to play.darkwind.org. All right, let's get back to the show. So, you know, when it comes to creating characters, obviously know your audience, right? So, I mean, if you've got a a group of seven to eight-year-olds, you really have got to simplify it and, and make sure that you put it in terms that they understand, you know? Do they like magic? Do they like being humans? They may not even know like what what a half orc is or a tiefling, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would probably keep it simplistic in maybe limiting the different types of characters that they can choose from if you don't already have a pre-made character sheet. Or, you know, if, if they want to be a transformer, maybe if that flexibility is there, let them be a transformer. Have fun <laughs> with it. And and when you're talking about the whole character creation process, I like mm-hmm. how you you mentioned um, talking about the types of characters and the races and, and ways that they understand it. Uh, I, I like to extend that also to talking about the statistics and attributes um, that are yeah. out there. So, so many numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> most people know what strength is if you say strength. But if you ask a kid what the difference between intelligence and wisdom is, they're like, <laughs> uh, 
So the, I mean, think of ways that they're going to understand it. I really like the uh, the tomato method where there's like all the different types of things that you can do with the tomato with these stats. So like strength is how you, you can crush the tomato and dexterities of avoiding the tomato when you, when you, when it's thrown at you and the intelligence and wisdoms, I, I think are, are kind of apropos. They, they intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and mm-hmm. it, wisdom is knowing that a, a tomato does not belong in a fruit salad. Or um, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Remind yeah. me not to have your fruit salads. <laughs> you know what? They're delicious. <laughs> um, no, and I think that's important. And I mean, think of other things too. Like again, the age of your groups, they may not even know what proficiency means or modifier or, you know, how those are even utilized. Um, you know, you're going to have to explain like your armor class, like, you know, what that, that means exactly, you know, um, things that like, you know, obviously we as adults take for granted, um, they may not even know what a long sword is or a rapier, you know, I mean, there's just so many things that you have to keep in mind. So I, I would suggest sort of limiting one, the characters available, mm-hmm. limiting, um, you know, the, the complexities of things like, you know, do you really need the modifiers and proficiencies in your game? Maybe just leaving those out, not having to worry about it. Um, limiting the type of weapons because, you know, you don't want to get it overly complicated. Um, I think that helps to kind of keep things straightforward and fun for them. Yep. And, uh, and may when, as you make those simplifications also make the character sheet simplifications. So you yeah. can, you can build your own character sheet. I think there's also uh, a wealth of simplified character sheets for, for kids mm-hmm. out there. If you do a Google search, Google um, anything these days, but, but anything you're, you're pulling out of as a, we don't need this rule because you're seven and, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, just take it off the character sheet so it doesn't, you don't have questions about it and you don't have to mm-hmm. drill into that, um, when it, when you're not even using it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and then I was mentioning before about my little pony, but yeah, I mean, you may have it, you know, depending on what they like and the theme of your campaign. Um, but you know, it, again, it just, you may have characters that like you don't expect like your kids to propose. Um, and like I said, you know, it, it sometimes it's just kind of cool to go with the flow and, you know, even though it may not necessarily be an option, I'm pretty sure you can fit a My Little Pony in there somewhere. <laughs> Some sort of like a centaur being that's been modified. Yeah, exactly. Like They're magical creatures. They count too. <laughs> um, and, and, and speaking of, of that, the whole character thing, you can also consider doing pre-built characters. Uh, yes. Just to, to easy to make that beginning process go very quickly mm-hmm. and you can have the conversation with, with the kids about, Hey, what kind of character do you like? Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can either describe the types of characters in terms that they understand or, or refer back to pop culture references and say, Oh yeah, I like, I like, uh, I like the guy like Aladdin. Oh, well, great. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about being a rogue. Um, but also being flexible enough with those pre-built characters yeah. so that when they, when they give you something that's um, maybe a little bit different than what you have built, hmm. you can tweak it and adjust it uh, relatively simply to make it, make it uh, what they want. For sure, yeah. And, and if eventually at some point in time you have... Um, you know, your, your kiddos decide that they're committing for longer terms, like, man, they really had a good time and now they want to keep playing or even within the same session. Um, you know, it comes to like leveling up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would go depending again on the age of your group, you know, sometimes the math can just be a little complex. Um, and you know, uh, 
status quo for typical D&D Pathfinder, things like that, is that, you know, in order to level up, you have a certain amount of experience points that allow you to get to the next level. But, you know, your seven-year-old may not be able to count that high, you know, once you get <laughs> to level four, level five. So, you know, a really great suggestion that I found was that instead of using experience points, um, use milestones or have them level up based off of accomplishments. If they've defeated a certain foe, if they have successfully completed this mission or this adventure, that gets them to the next level, um, as opposed to worrying about the nuances of counting numbers. Yep. And, and, uh, I, I actually use milestone leveling in my adult games and, and it's, uh, it's just, it, it's, in my mind, it's easier to pace the adventure to be able to say, I want them to be this level by this time and, yeah. and being able to understand wh- when they're going to level based upon that. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we talked a little bit about character creation. I think we talked enough there. So let's kind of get on to the actual story. Mm-hmm. Um, Real meat and potatoes of this all. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about playing with kids, you really should look at starting with a with a one shot, one that's not going to gonna that you don't have plans of this massive arc uh for a couple Mm -hmm. of reasons uh first off it's going to take a lot longer than you planned uh, (laughs) i bet it will there will be tangents and and Mm -hmm. side quests and all sorts of stuff that that they're going to um go on or invent themselves (laughs) uh but but having trying to at least have some restriction where you're doing it for one game that way after after that game you can gauge interest and mm. and first off see if people want to continue playing and second off see if they're if they're interested in the the thing you've been doing and whether you want more of that or whether you need to change it yeah for sure uh, and i think you know along those those same lines you were saying like you know sometimes a story can take unexpected turns and sometimes they'll throw things at you that you just were not anticipating and that's that's just the beauty of the creative young mind, if you will. Um, you know, they're going to make decisions that you just are like, whoa, I was not expecting that to come my way. And that's where, you know, you just kind of uh, kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like, just have that flexibility. Just have that like, oh, I'm just going to roll with it. I'm just going to. Yeah, sure. Why not? If you guys want to go save this you know, kidnapped unicorn instead of going on this dungeon that I probably spent hours creating. It's fine. I'm not bitter. It's fine. Yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just let them kind of let them take those creative turns. Let them kind of explore those aspects. I mean, that is, to be fair, one of the one of the main appeals of of role playing game. You know, is is that you know that particular aspect, that exploration, that like you know, seeing what's out there. Yeah, it may be really tempting to um, to think, oh, well, there are these these younger kids, so we need to railroad this thing and keep them on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I will I will say that that for for kids uh, going off the rails and doing their own thing is is going to happen more often. It's mm-hmm. going to be more rewarding for them to do that if you yeah. if you go along with it because they get so excited that they're actually playing the adventure that they had a hand in saying that this is what we're doing and and things like that. So. No, absolutely. I mean, you're getting them invested into the story. It starts to become their story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when that happens, they get a lot more emotionally attached to it. And that results in, a, like you were saying, a much more rewarding, uh, much more enriching experience for them. That's kind of the whole point. 
Yep. And and if you want them to grow up and, and be continue to be role players lifelong, mm-hmm. um, that's definitely one of the one of the ways to to accomplish that. And our future generation of DMs. Exactly. <laughs> They'll DM me when I'm old and gray. <laughs> old and senile. <laughs> All right. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about running the game, because mm-hmm. while there's a lot that's similar to running the game for adults, there's definitely some some differences and things to consider. Yeah. The first off is is breaks. Um, Take them. <laughs> <laughs> and adults are going to be a lot more used to sitting in the same place for a long time uh, in a lot of cases because of going to work and sitting at a desk and things like that. Mm-hmm. And kids don't really even though they're going to school they're getting up between classes and everything so they don't have that um i hate to call it a skill set but they they don't have that life experience (laughs) of of being life enough (laughs) of having to sit in the same place all the time so frequent breaks and probably longer breaks as well because they're going to want to chat and they're going to do their own thing for a little bit so rather than a five or ten minute break you might have for for your adult group you may end up being 30 minutes or so before you get get mm-hmm. back together. Yeah. And that's that's totally fine. I mean, again, along the lines of this being their game, it's going to be at their pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing you had mentioned before was, uh, you know, the time that is actually spent at the game, playing the game itself, um, is that, you know, you want to make sure that there are limited, if not any distractions while they're actually playing. Um, and we're not just talking like cell phones and things like that, but there are other things that are not contributing directly to this immediate adventure, this immediate campaign. It's best just to keep it off the table. And this is things like extra dice, extra miniatures, things that they are not currently using um, because that will end up as kids will be like start finicking around and playing with things and not quite paying attention to the game. Yeah. And it's not just stuff not related to the the game, but to the specific scene you're in. Cause if you're yeah. in this, this scene where you're doing role playing and there's not any need for miniatures, um, those kids who let's say role playing isn't their favorite may end up like using their miniature to like interrupt and 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 block everybody's flow and and get in people's faces and like yeah. ah, I'm attacking you like um, oh my gosh <laughs> so just something to keep in mind it, really pay attention to what's on the table in front of them because yeah if if there's somebody that's even not a hundred percent but ninety percent invested that could be the thing that that takes them out of the game. Um, and into their own world that's not even associated with the game. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, not only paying attention to like the table itself, but like any good DM should do, you know, pay attention to your players. Like, do they look bored? Do they look like they're having a good time? Like kids are, I think, a lot more emotionally transparent than adults. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, adults tend to be like, oh, you know, I may not be having fun, but I'm going to try and be polite and courteous and may not be as, you know, obvious about how I'm feeling. Kids. Yeah, I don't want to hurt the DM's feelings, so I'm just yeah. going to play through and act like I'm having fun. <laughs> exactly, but the kids, no, kids are like, look, if I'm if I'm not having a good time, you will hear it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, the other thing I will say is, as the DM, hmm. be exciting, be energetic, yeah. be animated, uh, more so than you would probably during your normal game with your adult friends. Uh, do those goofy voices. Don't be Mm -hmm. afraid to be silly because that's going to really tie them in and, and give them a memorable experience. Like, Oh, you remember when you remember when Sawyer's dad did that goofy voice. That was so cool. Uh, (laughs) um, So 
don't be afraid to to be a little bit goofy, to be a little bit more silly than you would yeah. in, your, in your normal game. Because having a silly adventure with kids can be a ton of fun. It really can. And that energy feeds like, you know, everyone feeds off of each other's energy. And if they see you're having fun and you're having a good time with it, then they're going to start reflecting that same feeling. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, next thing for running the game is is make sure to keep those turns short. Because uh, mm-hmm. if you've got if you've got a player that's taking a minute, two minutes, however long to make up their mind of what they're going to do you've lost everybody else. Um, We're done, son. <laughs> they don't care that, that their turn is coming up in two more turns. They're done. Yeah. Because Billy is taking so much time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but some some ideas uh, um, for that. Um, it I, I, I like the idea of having a shortcut sheet. So mm-hmm. on your turn, these are the things that you can do. So you've got a regular action and a bonus action. And these are the things that you can do in each of those so that they can think about, or maybe you just tell them you can move and you can have an action and that's all. That's it. That's all you get. Rules. Yeah. But you have a list of things that they can do during that that phase of their turn. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? Any, any ideas on keeping that turn short? Uh, well, I think kind of what, piggybacking on what you were saying about limiting their options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tend to do a lot of like when I play as a character, I really kind of lean towards magic users. And we all know when it comes to magic users that the thing that probably takes up most of our time is deciding which spell we're going to use. Yep. Um, and then figuring out what that spell does. <laughs> yeah, because we read it. We're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Um, but, you know, for kiddos, it's it's probably best to really have a simplified you know, description of what that spell is. Now, whether that's written out for them um, or whether it's on a little card that says, hey, lightning bolt does this, um, or if it's just it says what it is and then on your sheet you know exactly like more of the details, that's fine. Um, I would even go so far as to limiting how many spells that particular level has. Like, you know, we all know like level one has X amount of cantrips and X amount of spells. And as you get up, you get more more levels and um, you get more spells. But I would go so far as, again, if you especially have a younger group, limiting those spells, give them two choices, like two spells. You get this one or this one, and that's their choice, and that's what they get to choose from. Um, or if they're really beginner, one spell and one weapon, and that's what they get to choose from. Um, and generally and speaking, if you know j- roughly what the adventure is going to be, obviously it, it could be different if they go off mm-hmm. the rails. But if you know what the challenges that you're going to present to them are as, as part of it, you can make those that advice and say, these are the two spells that you should have and and by and know that they're going to work for the encounters that they're going to gonna gonna have in mm-hmm. place in front of them. Exactly. Um, and I would even limit some of the rules, like be a little lenient with the rules of things like spells. Like, I mean, you know, cantrips, obviously you can use them over and over again up uh, spells it's like you can only use like so many times in each day and then you've got to take a rest in order to like you know regain all that and you know it might just be better just to keep it along the same lines as a cantrip just let them use it let yeah. them have liberty of using it however often they want yep and i mean the older that they get the the more complex rules that you can Im- invite into that so yes. if you're running a game for teenagers you don't necessarily have to worry about limiting those but mm-hmm. if you're talking about seven years old eight years old uh, younger if you're going to ro- run games for that you definitely want to restrict those uh for all the reasons stated <laughs> <laughs> reference before yeah so moving on with running the game, uh, miniatures and maps. So we've mm-hmm. talked about miniatures and, and maps before. Yeah, uh, it really help keep uh, keep 
the, the attention of the kids when you're in when you're in battle, especially if you've got multiple turns and you're waiting for your turn, being able to actually physically see what what's going on mm-hmm. uh, can definitely help there. Yeah, and and I think you know a majority of people really enjoy the interactivity mm-hmm. that you get from maps and miniatures and things like that. Um, you know, hopping your little miniature from like, you know, a big rock to down below or something like that. Or if even if you're just drawing it on a map, you know, having them like go down a tunnel that you've drawn or into a room, you know, that that part of it, that's that's one of the more fun parts of of a tabletop game. Um, and it's definitely something that can keep your players, especially as kids, continually involved um, in the campaign itself. And kind of tying into that whole miniatures and maps discussion, you can also do physical props. Mm-hmm. Um, and since we're talking about miniatures and maps, uh, you can have scenery that's built onto your map so that mm-hmm. they actually have little trees or buildings that they can move their stuff around um, yep. rather than just a drawn map. I mean, obviously, if you if you don't have the the skill set or the or the funds to do that, then drawn map is fine. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but if you've got those options, that's uh, another way to keep the attention. Now, obviously we're saying some stuff now that's going a little bit back on what we said to reduce the distraction at the table. But I think <laughs> in a, in a battle scenario where you've got all this stuff going on, it, it can really help. And in, in a lot of this, of course, depends on your players. You may have players that, yeah, like things, extra things on the table, even if it's stuff that is applicable to the current adventure may prove to be a distraction. You have other players that, you know, because you have these things, the things that they can see and the things that they can kind of measure, engage and um, interact with that ends up being a more enriching experience for them. So obviously, you know, figure out what works for your players. Um, If you're going along and you find those things are a distraction, then, you know, as you run the campaign to kind of limit those things. But if you find that they absolutely love it, then, you know, let them have at it. Um, And this can be simple things like... um, Besides the miniatures, you know, maybe like you have like little treasure chests with gold coins in it and they actually have to like physically hand over three coins if they want to buy something mm-hmm. um, or like those little toy weapons, you know, they've got his axe and he's got a play axe and he's like ready to, to you know, smash or slash things with it. The, the the thing you mentioned before we started recording that I really liked was the the card with the the picture of the monsters on it. So mm-hmm. if they're if they're fighting a, a kobold or, or whatever they, they again, haven't been embroiled in this role-playing game culture, so they don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what that looks like. And yes, you can describe it, but having a picture, um, they all kind of lean in and like, ooh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but really with any of these props, the I, I think that the thing that you need to make sure of is is set expectations of what what is acceptable use for mm-hmm. these. So if you give them a little weapon... Yeah, you mm-hmm. can't hit your friends with that. Let's yeah, just please. lay that out on the table. You can't hit your friends with that. If you're going to do that, I'm going to take it back. Yeah, um, you don't need to have this anymore. <laughs> but but <laughs> setting the expectation. But again, if you if you have a group that you know that these will be beneficial to, mm-hmm. absolutely use props to to kind of pull them further into the game. Oh yeah, and and kind of on a comment we were talking about before about scenery. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of really great crafty, cheap ways of like providing scenery. Um, one guy had his egg carton and he turned it upside down, and it was like things that his players had to jump, um, you know, from one little egg carton thing to another in order to get across a thing of lava. Um, you have toilet paper rolls that you can use as like pillars, um, you know, or even if you know your kids' toys, like you know, help have them help you build the scenery or the set, you know, or have them bring things for you to use. Um, it's, it's a really fun way to kind of create that scenery for your players. Yep. 
Well, I think that is what we wanted to talk to uh, today about running yeah. games for for, uh, for younger players. Yep. Um, had a lot of fun, and uh, we'll be coming back here in a couple of weeks with who knows what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.